where we've been talking about the same God, different day. And uh, I've been having fun with this. You know, it's just uh, incredible as you study the scripture that we've been going through in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. We've read this every week, but just join with me one more time. This is what the word of the Lord says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I mean, if that hasn't sunk into you yet, I really want you to take a moment to memorize that and understand that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The last few weeks, we've talked about the God of yesterday and the God of today. And uh, this morning, I want to dive into what it means to be the God of forever. And, and I love that it's not, you know, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because if it was just tomorrow, we would wonder, well, what about the day after? You know, is God going to be faithful and good two years from now? Is God going to be faithful? Well, yeah, you know, I just joined membership and, and I'm in a good place. But what about when I struggle a year from now or 10 years from now? Or what about when this happens and when that happens? And so oftentimes we start to struggle and we start to doubt and we start to wonder, well, God, are you still going to love me? Which I think is kind of a funny question considering he's already loved you at your worst. I, I love that the immutability of God, the fact that he just doesn't change. That the God we see yesterday, the God we witness and experience today is going to be the same God tomorrow. I think why we struggle with that is that almost everything falls apart. There really isn't many things that are forever. Maybe the exception of how long it's gonna take for them to fix Grand Avenue or North Avenue or any of those things. I really do feel that'll just take forever. Like the Lord's gonna come and say, y'all didn't fix that yet? Never mind. we're going up, right? I just feel like that's how that's gonna go. But really, like nothing, nothing lasts forever anymore. As a matter of fact, most things are now manufactured to not last forever because they want you to get another one. And even if the hardware lasts forever, you know, we all have a junk drawer full of old iPhones or phones or whatever and billion chargers that don't work anymore. That I, I never thought I'd be that man. I am that man. And I know there's other people in this room like that. You know how you have a box of wires that you think you might need one day? You know what I'm talking about? Like one day, that yellow, red, white wire is coming back, baby. And when it does, I got a whole box of them. I'm ready to plug in. But the truth is, like, that just, that stuff, it becomes obsolete. And, and it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't function anymore. You know the old saying, they don't build it like they used to. Well, it's been a long time since they built anything like that. And so when we think about the fact that so many things don't last, we start to wonder, is God one of those? It's got one of those things that won't last. Not, not he in of himself, but maybe his love for me, his favor over me, his call on my life. A number of different factors that maybe we struggle with. And so as you continue to dive into Hebrews, I want to focus in today on Hebrews chapter 7. It's kind of been interesting whether you've noticed it or not. Really, we've been in a study of Hebrews the last few weeks. Now, let me give you a little background on the book of Hebrews. The author of the book of Hebrews is writing this to the uh, Jewish people at that time or the Israelites or the Hebrews uh, in order to help them overcome some of the obstacles they have 
from being Jewish people into converting to Christianity. He's trying to help them understand that everything Jesus has done and everything that Jesus is, is the fulfillment of everything that you've been waiting for. And so really, Hebrews uh, that we've been talking about, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that really encompasses what the book of Hebrews is about. Because throughout the entire book, he hearkens back to what they know. All the scripture from the Old Testament is, is part of the scripture, the Torah and all those things. And so he goes back to that and he says, hey, I know you know this. Remember that? This is how Christ has fulfilled that. And so he's constantly going back and forth, making that connection in order to help them get over the hump mentally and understand, you know what? You're right. Everything that you've been saying is what we've been waiting for and it's been fulfilled. One of those things we kind of dive into in Hebrews chapter seven. And, and again, he's kind of hearkening. Everything that you believe, you still believe it. You're just not believing the next phase of that. And so Hebrews chapter seven, I want you to hear what the Bible says in verse 23 through 25. It says, there were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. There, uh, therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Let me read that one more time. There were many priests under the old system for Death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. This idea of, of the priest, often in Hebrews, Jesus is described as the great high priest. Right? This is your spiritual leader, your mediator between humanity and God, because that was the role of a priest. The priest was the mediator. The priest was the one that went into the temple on your behalf, made the sacrifice, sprinkled the blood everywhere to atone for your sins. The priest was your representative, your mediator, the one that you would go and be like, hey, go talk to God for me. That's what the priest's role was. And so what he's saying is now we have a great high priest, one priest that'll last forever. All those other mediators you had, all those other priests, they've died. They can't hold the office for long because they're human. There's a shelf life. Everyone has an end date, right? And so he's saying all these priests that you've relied on over the centuries, many of which have died, some good, some bad, they are obsolete at this point. But this high priest we have in Jesus, he lives forever. And because he lives forever, there are some benefits that we get out of this. And these benefits were not only true when the author of Hebrews first penned this, but it's true today because it's true forever. So if you're taking notes, there's a few things I think it's important for us to understand. And I love the way the author says it. But because Jesus lives forever, these are some of the benefits we get out of it. Number one, his priesthood lasts forever. Meaning he will forever be able to mediate on your behalf. He will forever, forever be the go-between. See, in the Old Testament, you would go to a priest and he would go to God. Now, because of Jesus, we don't just go to Jesus. We go through Jesus into the temple of holies. Like we are now having access and relationship with God, not to Jesus, but through him, right? So we have that relationship now with him as God. And so we can now have community with the Lord. This is unheard of before Jesus because you always needed a mediator. This mediator now brings us together, isn't just the go-between. 
Death prevented all the other priests from remaining in office. And again, there were several priests throughout history because each of them was a man with a lifespan. And so that lifespan ends. Sometimes there were good priests. Sometimes there were bad priests. And what I love about the Bible is it doesn't sugarcoat. This is one of those areas where it affirms the reality and the truthfulness of the Bible. Because if I was writing a religious book, I would only ever make the people look good. But the Bible is very good at showing you the ugliness of humanity and the frailty of humanity. And so when you read a lot of the Old Testament, there are some priests that were downright disgusting. There were some priests that abused their position, that did horrible things in the temple, that slept with prostitutes, that killed people, that did really messed up things. But nonetheless, they were the priests. And so you you had good priests, you had bad priests. The problem is this system under the law was inefficient to do what we needed to do. See, in Moses' day, God gives Moses, if you've seen the Ten Commandments, he gives them the law, these commandments that they then build off of. And this law was what the Jewish people had to live by. Now, the law was extensive, tons of rules, tons of things. It was impossible to be able to fulfill. And the reality is nobody could. This is why we need Jesus in order to come and fulfill that law once and for all so that we're no longer saved by works in the law, but by grace through Jesus who fulfills that law. And so here you're having this system in play that doesn't work, that's inefficient. It's not that it's wrong, God established it, but he established it for the purposes of showing you it's inefficient. For the purpose of showing you that no matter how hard you try in your own strength and in your own ability, none of us is good enough to earn or deserve relationship with God or a place in heaven. That's what the law shows you. The law is there to remind you you're not good enough. Now, if we stay at that point in the law, then we're discouraged. But what Jesus does is he reaffirms, yes, you're not good enough, but I am. And because I love you, I will then fulfill the law by laying down my life on your behalf. And now as your mediator, I have brought you into relationship with God. And now, even though you still don't deserve it, none of us do, by God's grace, we get to have that, right? This is the unbelievable news that we have. And why do we have that? Because Jesus is not a man that will die and go away. Not even the priest could live up completely to the law, which is why we need a high priest in Jesus, one who is capable of fulfilling the law. Hebrews chapter eight, verse six through seven. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. In other words, Jesus has given us a better deal. We had a deal, but the deal was not a good deal. We couldn't fulfill our end of the deal. So what Jesus does is he renegotiates it, so to speak, and he establishes a new deal through him, one with far better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. And so the audience that he's talking to, they're sitting here going, well, no, 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 I follow the law and I am justified through the law. And what he is saying is, you haven't justified yourself with the law and you never will be able to. This is the whole purpose of Jesus. In other words, because of Jesus, you no longer need an earthly mediator. You have direct access to the Lord. Here's where I see the problem for us nowadays. I think many of us 
are still seeking finite mediators, people who will represent us before God. We want the pastor to represent us before God. We want our parents. Well, you know, my, my mom, she's been a Christian a long time, pastor. That means absolutely nothing for you. No offense. I love that your mom's a strong believer. That means nothing for you. Well, you know, my spouse, good for your spouse. That means nothing for you. Well, my kid, great for your kid. Oh, my kid's a pastor. That means nothing for you. That's great for them, but you don't have that mediator anymore. Well, you know, I, I got friends that, are, that really love the Lord, and I would have hoped that would have influenced you more, but apparently it has not. That means nothing for you. Even angels or saints. Oftentimes in several denominations, we, we cry out to an angel, we cry out to a saint. They're not strong enough to be a mediator for you. Why? Because saints are dead. You know, when you, when you see things, and again, I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to you if you grew up Catholic, but I do need to be honest with you. When you say, I pray to Mary, Mary died. Oh, I pray to Peter, I pray to Paul. They died. They're not your mediator. They didn't die for your sins. They died and were saved from their own sins through Jesus, but they are dead. And so you are praying to dead people who are no longer able to mediate for you or intercede for you. I at least can pray for you if you ask me to. But when we pray to the saints or when we pray, a lot of times what happens is we appease our own self issues. You know, we feel comfortable in knowing, well, you know, I'm, I'm praying to this saint or I'm praying to this angel or I'm praying to this dead relative and I'm asking you, hey, look out for me in heaven. But they're not your lookout in heaven. God is. And no offense, like I, I love, you know, all the people that have passed before me. I'm not looking at my grandfather saying, hey, grandfather, look out for me because I know one greater than my grandfather in heaven. So, so I love him. I get, can't wait to see him one day. But my Lord and Savior is also there saying, hey, I'm, I'll look out for you. I'll be a mediator for you. None of these people are capable of the eternal representation and mediation that Christ can give. So let's stop going through all the go-betweens and go directly to the one who already gave it all so that we can have that. That's the relationship we have with this priest. That's why he is somebody who we can turn to. And even Hebrews goes on to say, he's not some high and lofty priest that doesn't understand what we're going through because he's experienced all the same weaknesses you and I have experienced. So Jesus is not only a high priest, but he is a willing priest who wants to be with you, who wants to intercede for you, who wants to love you through what you're going through and be there for you. And he can do it because he lasts forever. There's no shelf life on it. You can bank on it because it'll be there forever. Sometimes I wonder, you know, we buy things with lifetime warranties. And I've asked myself, what if my lifetime outlives, outlives that business's lifetime? You know what I mean? Like, hey, I got a lifetime warranty. Bro, that business don't even exist anymore. Who's going to fulfill my warranty? Nobody. <laughs> they didn't say your lifetime. They said a lifetime. Well, their lifetime ended. So no more warranty. But we have a lifetime warranty in heaven. One that Jesus will always fulfill because he lasts forever. That's why in that same scripture that we read, he says he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. If you're taking notes, that's the second thing. God saves forever. Not only is our salvation eternal, but it is complete. You weren't partially saved. Okay? You have been saved from the power of death and sin. You weren't just saved from one or two major sins. You weren't just saved from one bad habit. 
You weren't just saved from one bad relationship. You have been given the power to overcome all sin, all temptation, all bad habits through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. And I get it. I'm not, again, I'm, I'm not being disrespectful. I know we have issues sometimes. We have things that we've battled for years. Many of you might have addictions. Many of you might have habitual issues that you struggle with forever. What I'm trying to say is I don't, I don't want to necessarily maximize or minimize your situation, but can we maximize our Lord? Can we understand that the one who we have now is able to once and forever set you free from all bondage, from anything that might try to pull you away from your relationship with God, anything that might try to hinder your life in Christ, the power that Christ used in order to conquer death once and for all is the same power at work in your life to set you free from anything that might hinder you. Our salvation is complete in Christ. Romans chapter six, verse five through 11. (coughs) Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Like, I mean, that spells it out. Some of us are living in bondage. Not because we can't get out of it, but because we're choosing not to get out of it. These are choices that we are making. Christ is able to, once and for all, set you free from all sin, from all addiction, from all habits. That doesn't mean you may not, on your own accord, go back to those things. But that isn't a failure of God. That isn't the inability. That's on you. That's on you. So if I have a car... I have the ability to go where I want. Now, if I get lost, that's on me. That's not the car's fault. The car is capable. I'm incapable. (laughs) I'm not paying attention. And in the same way, if you're still struggling with sin, I'm not trying to minimize your struggle, but let us maximize the one who can set us free from that struggle. Let's be reminded that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world, and I can overcome anything through Christ who gives me strength. Again, I sympathize because I've had my own struggles. And I know there are situations where we feel like, am I ever going to get free from this? Am I ever not going to have to deal with this? And truth be told, because of our salvation, our salvation is forever, which guess what? That means it outlasts the sinful nature and life as well. Ultimately, ultimately, we will receive everything eternal. Ultimately, we will have a new body. We will be free from sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. But just because that'll happen ultimately doesn't mean that can't begin to happen today. 
And I've said this before and I mean it. Eternity doesn't begin when you die. It begins when you give your life to Christ. And that eternal life, free from the bondage of sin, is something that we have because Christ lives forever. So when he set us free from sin over 2,000 years ago on the cross, that didn't expire because 2,000 years have passed. It's still as effective and as powerful today as it was the moment he said it is finished. Because it is finished means it's done. Means, hey, we don't got to work it out a little bit more and we don't got to try a little bit harder. No, it is finished. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a difference between being saved and being sanctified. Sanctified is the process of becoming more like Christ. And we are all on that journey. Okay, no one in this room has reached perfection until we see glory. Nobody in this room is perfect. So don't beat yourself up. What I'm saying is you have the power in Christ to overcome any obstacle. And that is why we can be sanctified. That is why we can look more and more like Christ every day. Because he is the one who guides us and strengthens us on that journey. Are you hearing me this morning? So... Because Jesus lives forever, he is able to save us forever. He is able to be our high priest forever. And then what did the third thing say? He lives forever to intercede, right? He intercedes forever. I always laugh, especially growing up. Um, there's always that one friend in the group that doesn't want to order food. Like, they're just too embarrassed to go up to the front. You know what I'm talking about? They're always like, hey, order for me, order for me. And you're like, God, order for yourself. Like, why do I always got to order for you? So I don't want to talk to him, order for me. And so I hope my kids don't ever love like that, but I think my oldest one will, okay? <laughs> and, and it's, what, what are you asking? You're asking them to do something on your behalf, to be the go-between. And we just talked about it earlier. We don't need a person anymore to be our go-between. We have Jesus. But here's what I want you to take one step further in understanding. Jesus resurrected from the dead and he will never die again, as we said. So do you want to know what he's doing? What he spends all his time doing? The Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. In other words, he is always in your corner, battling and fighting for you. Romans chapter eight, verse 33 through 34. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is seated in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Bible says that one of the names for the devil is the accuser. And what does that mean? That means he is constantly accusing you of your sin, of your past, of your humanity. He is constantly throwing it in your face. And to a certain extent, I would imagine, he is still doing that even before the throne, right? And, and what does Jesus do? Jesus is the one who counteracts every accusation he throws. Jesus is the one who says, no, no, no. This is my defendant. This is my client. I will defend them. I will protect them. I will make sure that you understand you have no power over them anymore. You can't control them anymore. And we see this even during Jesus before his resurrection, right? The Bible says Jesus approaches the disciples right before he's about to be crucified. And he says, Satan has asked to sift you each like wheat. And what did he do? I have prayed for you, interceded on your behalf that your faith would not fail you. Amen. So even then we see the intercession of Christ. 
And so there may be situations that are happening, but what Jesus does is he defends you from your accuser and he, he sets you free from all condemnation. Well, what is condemnation? It's that guilty feeling that makes you feel like you're unworthy of being in the presence of God. Now, I need you to understand, there is conviction, but conviction and condemnation are easily confused for a lot of people. The difference is conviction recognizes that you've messed up, but there's a greater desire to go to the Father. Conviction recognizes you messed up and is accompanied by shame to go away from the Father. What Jesus does is through the cross, he says there's no more condemnation. No longer are you gonna mess up and have to run away from me. No longer are you messed up and gonna have to go away from me. You still have conviction. I'm gonna call you out on stuff, but that doesn't mean I don't want you near me. My, my oldest daughter the other day, uh, she, was, she went to sleep in the bed with us and she's a toss and turner. And at least four times she kicked me in the head. At one time her foot was on my mouth. Like I just woke up with a foot in my literal mouth. It's a cute little baby foot, so it didn't bug me that much. But like the fourth time she kicked me and I was kind of like, I literally was like, Josie, that's the fourth time you've kicked me in the head. And she just rolls over and I just hear, <laughs> and she's just weeping and like completely turned away from me. And, and a part of me was like, I'm not even gonna try. You kicked me in the head four times. <laughs> but my father's heart says, I'm not rejecting you. I'm just asking you to stop. I'm not telling you to go away. I'm not telling you you can't sleep in the bed with us. I'm not saying you have to go to another room. What I'm saying is what you're doing, the behavior that you're doing hurts me. And so I don't want you to do that anymore because I want you to be able to be near me. And in the same way, that's how God treats us. He's saying, listen, I'm gonna call you out when you do things that is hurtful to my heart and that is hurtful to your life, but that doesn't mean I reject you. I pay too high a price to now reject you. I bring you close. Christ is constantly advocating for you before the throne of grace so that every time the enemy gets up there and says, you see what they did? They don't deserve your grace anymore. Jesus steps up and says, but it's my grace. I do with it what I want. And I will continue to give it to them. Why? Because I paid a high price to have them. They belong to me. They're mine. I love them. This is the beauty of God's grace and mercy and the intercession. And listen, I think we've all experienced it from a time or two. There's a powerful feeling when somebody defends you. When everybody seems to be against you and one person steps up and stands in between, there is such a power behind that, a comfort, an overwhelming sense of gratitude to say thank you for defending me. What I want you to understand is that 24-7, Jesus lives to defend you. So not only is he strong enough to save you, but he's strong enough to defend you because he lives forever. No matter what the enemy accuses you, and even when he whispers in your ear, the Holy Spirit is able to speak to you and say, that's not true. That's not how I feel. That's not me. Worship team, if you can help me out. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His priesthood is forever. His salvation is forever. His intercession is forever. But all of that and more is because of one more important thing. His love is forever.
God will never stop loving you. He'll never stop. That doesn't mean you don't walk away from God. It doesn't mean you might not reject God. But even in those moments, he doesn't not love you. Even in those moments where maybe we upset the Lord. Those of you who are parents understand, I may be mad at my kids. I never stop loving them. They drive me crazy. But it's because I'm already crazy about them. God's love is forever. That's why he's the same. He loves you just as much today as the day you got saved. As a matter of fact, Christ is incapable of loving you any more than he already loves you because he loves you at the fullest extent of love. There's no such thing as 110%. It's all all the way 100. It's the maximum. And that's how much God loves you. Going back to Romans 8, we read the first portion of it a little bit ago, but... I want to continue to read verse 35 through 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Now, again, don't misunderstand this. What he's talking about is his love for you, not necessarily your love for God. There might be temptation. There might be sin. There might be bitterness that will pull your love away from God. And I think because we understand that we can stop loving God or we can pull away from God, that we think God is going to do the same to us. But what Romans is saying is, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Now, when Paul wrote this, he experienced every one of those things with the exception of death. He had trouble. He had calamity. He was persecuted. He was hungry. He was left destitute. He was in danger. He was definitely threatened with death. And on many occasions, attempted to be killed. And in all that, he could safely say, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us and I am convinced probably because of what he's gone through that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love No power in the sky, above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I believe, I I really think I feel like I'm speaking to somebody's heart today. And I think for somebody in this room, you've had so many people say they love you and then not do it, that it's hard for you to accept Christ's love. But like he said, I am not a man that I would lie. He is not the other people that have hurt you. (laughs) Because those people are finite, here today and gone tomorrow. But Christ is eternal. And because he lives forever, he loves forever. 
So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to get ready to, to wrap this portion up. With every head bow, every eye closed. Everything that we talked about, his priesthood forever, his intercession forever, his salvation forever, is all limited to those who have accepted him as that high priest, as savior, as intercessor. So if you're in this place and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never repented of your sin and accepted the fact that you need a savior, then none of this applies to you with the exception of one thing, Christ loves you. And it's because he loves you that he paid that price so that you can love him in return. So with every head bow, every eye closed, I just wanna take a moment, if you're in this room and you've never done that, or maybe you did when you were a little kid or a long time ago, but truth be told, you just haven't been living that out. No one else looking around, I'm not gonna call you out, I'm not gonna bring you up, I just wanna know so that I can pray for you and include you in this prayer. If you wanna accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you just lift up your hand right where you're at and I'll pray for you. Thank you, thank you, sweetie. Anyone else that says, that's me, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I'll give you the moment. Amen. Church, would you just pray with us? Say, Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for that love. I thank you, Lord, that you don't treat me as my sins deserve. So because of that, God, I confess this morning and I ask you, God, to forgive me of all my sins. Make me clean. Make me yours. Be my Savior and my Lord. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, would you give God a hand clap of praise for every one of those?